Amen. All right, check this out. Hey, how many guys are appreciative of GPS? Praise God. Remember those days when there was no such thing as GPS? Have you noticed that? Right? Uh, how many of you realize that when you get married, did you realize you just married a low-tech GPS? <laughs> Man, I'm already off track. But I, <laughs> back in the day, you know, I used to read the map. Remember that? And sometimes it didn't always go well because your eyes were off the road. Well, listen to what happened to this guy back before GPS. One day, this t- <laughs> tourist was lost out in the country, right? And uh, while he's checking out his road map, right, no GPS, and he was driving his car, he's looking at the map, though, he wasn't paying attention, he crashes into a farmer that was hauling all kinds of livestock in his truck in the opposite lane. Well, and so the tourist, with this crash, he was thrown outside of his vehicle, he landed in a ditch, and he suffered broken ribs and a broken arm, a broken leg, and he was obviously in serious, serious pain. Well, the farmer, he only suffered a couple scrapes and bruises, he's in this big old truck, right? And uh, so he, he gets out, but he notices all his farm animals are totally messed up. So the farmer, he gets out of his truck to check the livestock, and he notices that the chickens, listen, the chickens all have broken limbs, and they can barely move. And so the farmer yells, these chickens are useless. Nobody's going to want to buy my chickens anymore. So he grabs the shotgun, and he blows the chickens away. <laughs> it would be tempting to close in prayer right there, but I, I'll just move on. Next, he sees his pigs, and they're all lame. They're bleeding all over the place, and he yells, These pigs are worthless now. I'll get nothing for them. So in a rage, he reloads his shotgun, and he blows the pigs away. And so then, next thing you know, he looks over at his sheep, and he sees they got all broken limbs, and they're wool. It's all covered in blood, and it's ruined and messed up, and he screams, These sheep are worthless, so he blows the sheep away. Well, meanwhile, the injured tourist, he's watching all this carnage in great horror from the ditch. And the farmer comes over, and he walks over to the tourist. He goes, Hey! You okay down there? And the tourist said, I've never felt better in my entire life. (laughs) Give it up for GPS. How many guys would say that tourist day went from bad to worse real quick, right? He was trying anything he could to stay alive, okay? But he was in a bad situation, okay? And believe it or not, folks, it reminds me, unfortunately, today of many Christians, okay? How many times are we thrown into a spiritual ditch, of our own doing, because we're not, you know, looking at the guide map, the Bible, right? And we're off in the spiritual ditch, and we're wondering why, spiritually, we keep getting blown to pieces, okay? And folks, it's just that. It's because we're refusing to study the Bible. Basic instructions for leaving the earth, right? B-I-B-L-E, okay? And, and again, it's not just hurting us. It's now going on so long as producing a generation of churches full of Christians who are acting like these practical atheists, okay? We say we believe in God, but what are we doing? Let's be honest. Half the time with our lips and our lives, we're given a different impression. We're acting like God's not even there, okay? It's not just detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God because guess what? We're the walking Bible, that they never have, may never will read. They're reading us, okay? okay. And so to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God. We've already seen the first thing we need to know about God is what? He's real, okay? It's not a pipe dream. The second thing, hello, he's what? He's personal, intimacy with God through Jesus Christ on the cross. We don't have a boring, stale, man-made religion. We got a direct access, beautiful, bride-like, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. The third thing, hello, he is what? He is wise. Why would you go anywhere else? God knows everything. He never will steer you wrong. Just stick with him. The fourth thing we saw, he is sovereign, full control at all times. He works all things. How many all things together for good for those who love him? Do you love him today? Guess what? He's promised you, I, don't, I didn't say it's going to be easy. I will work all things together 
for your good. He is sovereign. The last four times we saw the fifth thing is God is powerful, okay? And we've been, we saw several weeks of what God's power is like, okay? And, and, but the last time we saw what God's power can do for you, okay? And there we saw it's supernatural, okay? And what God's power can do for you is it gives you not just strength, it gives you supernatural strength. It doesn't just give you courage, it gives you supernatural courage, okay? Not just protection, but supernatural protection. You're literally in that God bubble where we can't see it, but that's what the Bible says. We're in that God bubble. Nothing enters the sphere of our lives without his direct, divine, powerful permission. And if it enters in, backs up into his sovereignty and his goodness, it's still working out together for our good. And that instills what? Supernatural hope. There are no hopeless situations as long as God's on the throne and he's always on the throne. Okay? Absolutely amazing God's power. Not just what it's like, but what it can do for you. That's where we left off. But you might be sitting there thinking, okay, Pastor Bill, I get it. I'm starting to understand what God's power is like. And last week, thanks for bringing it down for me. You're welcome. Uh, uh, that uh, what but God's power can do for me. I, I, I get that. But here's my question, Pastor Bill. Why did I not experience it? Oh, I get it. I get the, I'm, I'm into theology. I, I, I get that. God's character. He's powerful. You know, I, I get that. I, and I understand that it can do all these amazing things for me, especially when I need it most. How come I don't experience it? Or how come I used to experience it when I first got saved? But now, it seems like a dream. I'm going to be blunt with you because I love you. The spirit of bluntness is all over me. And here is what I've learned. You know why? Let's be honest, Christian. It's because we don't love God like we used to. We don't love God. Why didn't I experience his power? Like when I first got saved, man, things were going crazy in a good sense and wild and all kinds of amazing things. And I had flames come out of my ears and stuff, but today it's just smolders. You know why? It's because you don't love God like you used to. Now, believe it or not, if that's you, if that's us, you're not alone. This isn't the first time, okay? God had to deal with this with another church. They were called Ephesus. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's take a look at uh, this church, what was going on. And it wasn't all bad. They had a lot of great things going. But man, something happened to the heart, okay? And folks, this is a reality for us today, okay? We have to be careful. Guard your heart, the scripture says. Guard your hearts, in Christ Jesus, guard your hearts and minds. Be on target. Pay attention. Stay alert. Be prayerful. Be watchful. Why? Because somebody's out there trying to steal your love away from Jesus. And that's what happened to this church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2. Let's read now verses 1 through 4. To the angel or messenger of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him. Context, who's him? Jesus. So this is from Jesus to this church. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands of the church. I know your deeds. Listen, isn't that cool? Working hard. You know, somebody in the church may not notice it, but who does? Jesus. That's who you're supposed to be working for anyway, right? Out of love for him. But I know your deeds, he said. And listen, they have some good stuff going on there. He says this. He says, I, I, I know your deeds. Okay, he says uh, your hard work, not just work, your hard work, your perseverance. They're putting up with pressure over time. Consistently, that's what that word means there. Perseverance, I, I, I know that you, listen, you cannot tolerate wicked men. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And you have, what, what does he say there? And you have found them false. Man, they, they, they're chucking them out of the church. They're keeping the church clean. In fact, you have persevered. You've endured hardships for my sake. You have not grown weary yet. 
uh-oh, I got this against you, church. You have forsaken or lost your first love. Whoa. That, that's really words to a church from our Lord and Savior Jesus. You, what? You've lost your... Now, 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 again, in the context here, the Ephesians church, this was not a lazy church. This was not a liberal theology church. This church had a lot of great things going, man. I mean, they were working hard. They were persevering. They were staying away from false teachers, getting rid of false teachers. They were not putting up with any of that baloney. That's good stuff to do, amen? That's what a church is supposed to do, right? But they had one big glaring problem. And what did Jesus call him on the carpet? He just cut to the chase. Doesn't he do that? He cuts to the chase. He says, listen, you're doing all this great stuff, and thank you for that. Yet, you have forsaken your first love. Now look this up again in the Greek. It's a me. And you know literally what this is? Because sometimes when we say, oh, you lost your first love or forsaken life. It's like, it's like you wake up one day, it's like, oh, 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 where did it go? Well, how, what happened? I was doing good and it just fluttered away. <laughs> no, right? I, what happened? I laid it on the nightstand, my 20 bucks on the deal. I woke up and I just, I lost it. Where did it go? Oh, no. That's not what the word is. You know what the word is? In fact, Paul uses this exact same word in what I'm about to share with you in 1 Corinthians 7, 11. Check it up for yourself. It's the word divorce. Oh, we're having... No, 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 no. You divorced Jesus. You divorced your heart from him. Listen, you made... It wasn't just, oh, what, what happened? I got... I got sh you made a deliberate choice. Listen, you, you one day... You were on fire for Jesus. One day, you're in love with Jesus. Another day, you woke up, and you woke up, and you made a deliberate, conscious choice. No. I'm not going to love him like I used to. You divorced him. Isn't that wild? And, and so, I mean, think, I mean, could that really happen? Listen, could Christians, could a church do all the right stuff? They've got great theology. They stand on that. They will not allow any false teaching. They're working their tails off. They're serving Jesus. Could they really sit there and wake up one day and say, I'm just going to go through the motions, man. I'm going to show up, punch in my religious time clock. And make that actual deliberate choice. Could that really happen? Yeah, it not only happened. It happened to Ephesus, and that's what Jesus called them out on. They deliberately divorced their love from him. But listen... It can happen today. Haven't you ever had those conversations? Remember when you first got saved? Did you ever have one of those people, like I did, that they came across you when you first got saved, and you're excited for Jesus, and, right, and then they come up, and they, 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 they always do this. Some, you know, some Christians have been saved for 9,322 years. Who's counting? Right? And they come up to you, brand new Christian. They put their arm around you, and they sit there, and they go, Oh, look at you, cute little young Christian. I used to be like you one time. Oh, it was so, oh, yeah. But don't worry. You'll cool down like the rest of us. Did you ever have that? That's a lie from the pit of hell. Scripture says never lose your zealousness for Christ. But that behavior has now become... The normal, but that behavior is abnormal. What's normal is you never lose your love for Christ. That person woke up one day and says, no, I'm making a deliberate choice to not seek and serve and love Jesus like I used to. Wow. And Jesus has strong words for that. Now, what I've learned is what makes it tricky to spot is it's usually, you know, we think, oh, a demon came flying through the window. I just, oh, not necessarily. 
It's usually a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit over time, a little compromise here, a little rationalizing over here, a little excuse here, or just, it's just slowly, and the next thing you know, it feels like God's a million miles away. You ever been there? But what's the axiom? If it ever feels like God's a million miles away, guess who moved? You did, not God. And when you're in that position, it's a sign that you are being seduced away from your first love. And if you don't stop and you don't turn around, it's going to happen. You're going to get to that point where you actually say, you give in to it. No. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to seek him like I used to. I've had enough. And then you rationalize. Of course, you've got to rationalize it, right? But think of what you're doing. Listen, you're telling Jesus after all he's done and the love he's displayed for us. A full, complete forgiveness of all of our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave all that. You said, oh, and I'm now your, your bride. I'm married to Jesus, a relationship. And one day you wake up and you say, I divorce you. Wow. You think that hurts God's heart? Yeah, that's what he says. I got this against you. Oh, thank you for having good theology, great leadership. You're not putting up with wickedness, but you divorced me, church. Christian, and you need to get right. Okay, so I want to take a look at some lines and, and signs to indicate that that's us. Okay, because here's the deal. We're still on God's power, right? And it goes something like this, okay? When you refuse to love Jesus, our supernatural God, then don't expect to experience his supernatural power. You don't love him. Why did you experience this so heavily, so regularly, so intensely when you first got saved? What's the difference? Because you loved him then. You couldn't stop talking about him. It was, and the power was overflowing. But if you don't want to love him, our supernatural God, don't expect to experience his supernatural power. Okay? That's why we're not experiencing So let's take a look at some of those signs that indicate we're getting seduced away from our love for Jesus. And the first one is basically this, folks. We're only going to deal with two today. We no longer place our faith in God. We no longer place our faith in God. Now, the Bible simply says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if you're going to come to him, you got to just bare bones message. We already dealt with this. God is real. you got to at least acknowledge that he's real. Okay? But not only that, it's just sometimes, listen, you go through hard times and you don't see God. How many of you guys have ever seen God? Please don't raise your hand. I'm helping you out today. All right? You haven't seen that, so guess what? You have to receive it by faith. But just because I can't see it, it must not be real. No. Do you guys see the radio waves going through here right now? Do you see the television waves right now? Do you see the heat waves? Well, therefore, TV and radio and heat is an illusion. No, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. Give me a break. Okay, but you have to believe that God exists and what he says he will do. It's called faith. We walk by faith, not by sight, the scripture says. Now, let's go to Hebrews. This is the classic chapter called the Hebrews Hall of Faith. It's all about faith, faith in God, and et cetera, et cetera. But here's the biblical definition of faith. Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. Now, faith is what? It's being sure, no doubting, sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I don't see God right now, but hey, I know he exists. I'm certain of it. I'm sure of it. There's no doubt. You know, I don't see God's promise coming to manifest in this challenge that I may be having or that challenge or this one, but I am sure he is faithful to keep his promises. That's faith. That's biblical faith. This is what the what? The ancients were commended for, i.e. the heroes of the faith. 
And we'll get to that in just a little bit, okay? But here's what we see in this context is the biblical definition of faith. And what I want to bring out to it is these people were commended for having this faith, okay? We need to have faith in God. But notice the definition. It's not just being sure of what you hope for, but you are certain about it. I mean, there's no doubt. Not, it doesn't even creep into your head. Even though you don't see it, you are absolutely certain, but this is our problem. Listen, this, oh, when you first got saved, hey, was there any problem trusting God? Having faith in God? I don't care what you were going through. I don't know how, but he's going to do it. He's going to fix it. He's going to provide. Remember those days? See, what happens over time, slowly but surely, here's what happens. We're tempted not to understand things spiritually, but naturally, right? This is what our world does to us, okay? We no longer trust in God. We start thinking about the odds, right? The feasibility. We, we no longer apply mountains of faith. We try to mentally figure it out. And if we really want to look intelligent and somehow spiritually mature, that's why we don't turn to our Savior. We turn, listen, to the latest statistics to determine whether or not something is feasible in the first place. What? I don't know if you guys learned this, but did you realize that 73.4% of statistics are wrong? Four of you will get that later, put it in your pocket, bring it out at lunch. Ha, 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 have a little treat, okay? Uh, listen, did you know that five out of four people have trouble with fractions? The other two of you over here put that in your pocket, and you'll bring it out for lunch. Ha, ha, ha. And how about those four out of five dentists, right, who like this particular brand of toothpaste, or the four out of five doctors who, who recommend this brand of cold medicine? Have you guys ever stopped to think about this? Maybe it's just my brain, Tom. Pray for me. Okay? Even more so than what you're already doing. But anyway, why is it always four out of five? I mean, are you serious? It always lands on Is there really one rebel doctor out there who's res ruining the formula? They will never achieve a five out of five because this guy's messing... Let's get back on track. Okay, so anyway, so uh, but here's the point. Give me a break. Statistics, odds, that, that, that's where you're putting, what? In our naturalistic world, we are inundated and tempted to listen to, listen, statistical data as if that's the gospel truth. But Christian, we need to get back like when we first got saved. God is God. He can do whatever in the world he wants to do. At any time in human history, he's got the power to do it all. Is God bound by statistics? Is a mathematical probability more powerful than him? Is your cranium bigger than the creator? You better say no. Then why in the world will we ever place our faith in a statistic probability instead of the Savior? Who, listen, who's the real source of power here? That's the seduction. Little by little. Didn't start out that way. But you started listening more to that voice. And just to make sure, folks, that we can... Uh, see, just how powerful faith in God, and yes, we can benefit from that greatly, okay, uh, can do. Let's take a look at the, now the heroes of the ancients. As ancients were commended for, let's take a look at those folks uh, in the scripture, okay, and what they gained. Now, first of all, by faith, Enoch was raptured to God. In Hebrews chapter 11 says that. How many of you guys realize that uh, the rapture hasn't happened yet? Hey, if it did, turn to somebody and say, we're in trouble. <laughs> okay, no, it hasn't happened yet, okay. Uh, but, but guess what? I, we haven't seen it. Right? I haven't seen it happen. And, you know, it just says Jesus is going to come from the, uh, he's being the, and we're going to be, whoop, translate up into the clouds, meet him in the air. It's going to be awesome. Woo I, I haven't seen it, but by faith, it's going to happen. Guess what? By faith, it happened to Enoch. Right? He, faith took God at his word. Hey, listen, by faith, Noah survived a worldwide flood. Right? Oh, and by the way, he, he, he was in that ark for over a year. Don't you think about six months later and you're still on that boat and smelling those animals and it's getting really bad now. And after all this stuff and he's like, <laughs> no. no, God 
will bring us through. Right? But faith. Faith. That's why these people are mentioned here. Right? By faith, Abraham received the promised land. Right? Remember, he was supposed to have all these, get this land, get all these kids, and have all these riches. He had no kids. He's 100 years old. His wife's 90. They ain't got no kids. Where's the promise, God? And he did crack a little bit. Right? But don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. She got pregnant at 90. <laughs> Sarah, wouldn't it be cool? He's out there in a walker or something, right? Right? Hey, go have a kid. Woo-hoo. I mean, this really happened. Right? By faith, Abraham received the promised land. By faith, Moses' parents saved him from death. They took God's word above man's word. They were threatening to kill him. No, no, no. By faith, they did that. By faith, Moses led the Israelites out into the desert. By faith, David conquered kingdoms over, over, and over, and over again. By faith, Daniel shut the mouths of lions. By faith, others endured, uh-oh, endured being flogged and thrown into prison. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, others endured torture, even refused to be released. By faith, others endured being sawed in two. If you were here on Wednesday night on our first study on Roman Catholicism and what they did to the reformers, they're being burned alive. But guess what? By faith, they stood strong and sang hymns of God as they were being burned alive by faith supernatural things can take place how many guys would say those people benefited by having faith in God not just that he exists but he has the ability to take care of us even some certain extreme circumstances and they came out on top every single one of them okay now here's the good news folks faith in God it didn't just work for those folks in the past it works for you and I today God's the same yesterday today and forever amen And I'm telling you, folks, as long as you and I allow ourselves to get tricked into not placing our faith in God instead of looking at everything naturally and all the statistics and the probabilities, I don't know. We are causing ourselves so much unnecessary pain. It's crazy. It's like this story, true story. One guy said, he said, I heard this story about the early days in our country and the United States where uh, there was this weary traveler and he came to the banks of the mighty Mississippi River. And it was there for the first time. And when he got there, there's no bridge like we had today back then and he said it was early winter and on the surface of the mighty stream though the mississippi it was covered with ice and he thought to himself could could i dare cross over would the uncertain ice be able to bear my weight well night was falling and it was urgent that he hurry up and get to the other side so finally after much hesitation and with many fears he began to creep cautiously across the surface of ice on his hands and knees Right? And what he thought was that he might be able to distribute his weight as much as possible to keep the ice from breaking beneath him. So he's spreading himself out on his hands and he's creeping slowly across the ice. And about halfway over, all of a sudden he hears this sound, true story, of singing coming from behind him. Right? And out of the dust there came a man driving a horse-drawn load of coal across the ice, singing merrily as he went along his way. There he was, crawling on his hands and knees, right, trembling lest he should break, you know, the ice. And, and there goes this guy, this man, on horses with a sleigh with a load of coal, upheld by the same ice he was creeping. And he says this, listen, and so it is, like that traveler that some of us Christians have learned only to creep on the promises of God. Cautiously, timidly, trembling, venturing forth upon his promises as though the lightness of our step might make those promises somehow come through or be sure. 
And he simply says this, God, Christian, has promised to be with us. Let us believe that promise. He has, listen, promised to uphold us. Let us take him at his word. We are not to creep upon the promises of God as though they were too fragile to uphold us. We are to stand on them, confident that God is as good as his word, and he will do what he has pledged to do. Remember those days? Remember when that was just as automatic? As getting up in the morning. What's going on? God is more than worthy of our faith, Christian. And if you don't have that knee-jerk reaction, listen, I ain't got the answers. I don't care what the odds are. My God is not bound by odds. I don't care what man says. I don't care who the experts are. Nobody supersedes Jesus Christ. And I belong to him. And I may not see it now, but I know he's going to come through for me. Stand on that promise. Where's that faith? What happened to it? Are you getting seduced? Next thing you know, oh man, Christmas falls on a Sunday. What happened? And how sad it is that many Christians today are creeping around in life full of pain and fear. Listen, when other Christians, they're skating around having a good old time, singing, woohoo, right? And you're, you're, those are the people you want to slap, right? Right? Okay, they want to slap me and Bobby, but I don't know. <laughs> What's the difference? It's not this you got your head in the sand. Your head's on Jesus Christ. And your faith is in him, not your circumstances. That's why you get to skate around. Still have that joy? Singing for Jesus. That's it. Here's the good news. You don't have to give that up. Did you know? Did you know the guy that whoever or gal who came up after you got saved and said, oh, you're cool down. Did you know they're the problem, not you? Did you know that your behavior is the normal behavior and theirs is the abnormal? Did you know their behavior is a sign they've been tricked and seduced into losing their first love? But yours is a sign you still got it. Don't lose it. Not placing your faith in God. If, it's this, folks. It's not that hard. If you refuse to place your faith in the supernatural God, do not expect to experience his supernatural power. It's that simple. And it might be a sign you're being seduced, whether you realize it or not, into losing your first love for Jesus. One more to go. The second way is we no longer place our faith in God. We no longer pray to God. Right? Hey, it's just, I ain't got time for that. Just give me a Hey, folks, I tell you what. Praying to God is not only awesome. Praying to God, again, we're still on the theme of power. It is powerful. Okay? If you have, in case you need a reminder, let's take a look at just one of these occurrences in the early church. This is amazing, man. Acts chapter 4, 24, 29, 31 says this. Now, when they heard this, now what's the context? The early church was being persecuted. We're coming to get you, Christian. What'd they do? They went to God and they prayed. And when they heard these threats, they raised their voices together in what? In prayer to God, sovereign Lord, they said, you, God, have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything. What did they first point to? Who God is, God, he created the whole universe, which is kind of big last time I checked. The whole earth, everything, I whoa. You don't think he can't take care of this threat, this problem? That's the first thing, and they're all jammed right out of the gates. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with what? Great boldness. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was what? Shaken. Literally, the building shook, folks. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Okay, and this is just one passage of Christians doing what we Christians need to do, and that's praying to God. 
okay? Whether it's just out of joy or thankfulness or sometimes out of hard times, okay? But according to our text, the early church was facing some serious problems, serious persecutions. What did they do? I know. Here's the first thing they did. The knee-jerk reaction, as soon as they ran into a problem or threats or whatever, it was just, <laughs> nobody loves me, and they're mad, and I'm, I'm tired of being a Christian. They make fun of me, and... That's my best pout. You guys like my pout? Yeah. They didn't pout about it. They prayed to God about it. Right? Their knee-jerk reaction. Listen. I know what they did. Here comes this persecution. Okay, I'm going to resist the pouting, but you know what we need to do? We need to launch a committee. That's what we need to do. We're going to launch a committee to discover the feasibility of this. We're going to develop a plan A, B, C, subsection D. Anybody learned this phrase yet? For God so loved the world, he did not send a committee. You know, he sent his son, somebody to get it right the first time. <laughs> no, they didn't launch it. They prayed to God. They didn't pout. They didn't set it over to somebody. What a, what a concept. Hey, challenge. Hey, God, you created the whole universe. Take care of it. Thank you. Have a great day. Remember those days? Remember that's what it was? Oh, because you, listen, you get saved, it doesn't mean the problems go away. But what was our knee-jerk reaction back then? Just give it over to God. Have a great day. Watch him take care of it. What happened? What changed? Oh, notice when they did that, they not only got the boldness to preach the word of God, in the face, of, they didn't just get it to the persecution, they gave it back in boldness in Christ's love, sharing the gospel. Right? And the buildings began to shake. Okay? But, but folks, this is what prayer to God can do. Right? And here's our problem. I don't know if you notice this. We talk about prayer, don't we, Christian? <laughs> we talk about it. Uh, we, we believe in prayer. That's right. You know what? We encourage each other to prayer. We buy books on prayer. We get CDs on prayer. We watch videos on prayer. We, we, we actually encourage one another to go to those prayer and fasting conferences with meals included. <laughs> but you know what I've noticed? We don't get around to praying, do we? Oh, we'll talk about it. We'll buy that book that sits there and collects four feet of dust on it, about it. We'll encourage people to pray. We'll say, hey, that's right, prayer is powerful and it's good. Preach it. But we don't pray. We don't pray. And so here's what happens. Over time, instead of praying to God right off the bat, when troubles hit, we turn to entertainment. Hey, that rhymes. Hopefully you remember that. No, no, no. Instead of praying, we go playing. Because that's what you need, right? When hard times hit, that's what you need. Go shopping. Go playing. Go do this habit. Turn on the TV. Go to the movies. That's what will fix the problem. What happened? When we first got saved, it was just a knee-jerk reaction. Like the church, go to God. Pray about it. But somehow we listen to the pipe piper that says, no, no, no. Here's what you need. And it's not Jesus. Pretty soon, uh, we, we go down that route. We come up with the biggest excuse. I don't know if you guys, listen, I know this is not this church. It's that weird church way down south. And I'm talking miles from here. Maybe even in another state. But you come up with the excuse, and all of a sudden, you, this comes out of the Christian's mouth. They say, oh, I don't have time to pray. What? What's the context here? You woke up one day, and you made a deliberate decision. I divorce Jesus Christ in my heart from him. I don't have time to pray. I, I, this is one of the biggest lies from the pit of hell. I, this is what I've learned. I'm just going to be honest with you, myself included. I've learned over the years, it's not that we don't have time to pray. Are you kidding me? It's that we don't take the time to pray. 
I'll say that again. It's not that we don't have time to pray. We just refuse to take the time to pray. How do I know? Because we got all kinds of time to find uh, time for everything else. I mean, at the drop of a hat. Hey, we need to pray. Well, let me check my calendar. Hey, let's go see the show. Let's go. Just like that. What's going on here? Let let me give you uh, some examples of how we waste our time. Let's talk, first of all, the sacred cow of TV. Right? TV might be spiritually uh, or visually entertaining, but it's not spiritually stimulating. Uh, I call it brain candy, by and large. Okay, and for instance, let's be honest. How much TV would you watch if you had to chop wood to keep it going? <laughs> Probably not a bunch, right? Okay, and uh, did you know the average family watches nearly seven hours a day of TV? Now, this is just TV statistics. This is not the computer. This is not tablets. This is not cell phones. This is none of that stuff. This is just TV, okay? Seven hours a day, average family together combined. And because of this, listen, by the age of 10 in America, most children can name more brands of beer than presidents. Oh, but the average person, the average person uh, spends four and a half hours a day watching TV, and that is, listen, enough times to read the Bible 22 times in one year, not to mention a whole bunch of prayer in between. And we ain't got time. Oh, how about the ritual of watching the news? Remember what was our ritual when we first got up, when we first got saved? First thing out of bed, what'd you do? Thank you, Jesus, I love you. We start entering into a conversation with him, i.e. pray. We just pray to him and have a great time with him. First thing out of the gates, pray to God. Nobody had to give us a sermon on it. Remember those days? What's the routine now? Oh, turn on TV, find out what's going on. What? Listen, I'm not saying don't be informed, but where's God? You're not going to spend time with God? What happened? Who's seducing your heart here? In fact, let's take a look at what Paul says to put in your brain, especially first part of the day, my theory. Philippians chapter 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Think, put in your mind, think about such things. And what's the payoff? Woo! And the peace of God will be with you. Can you imagine when you wake up and, and before anything happens, you just get into this state of peace with God that carries you throughout the rest of the day? Oh, by the way, even if you feel it waning a little bit, did you know it's not illegal to keep praying to Him throughout the day? And get that peace going. Why? Can you imagine a day that's just by and large kind of even, peaceful, awesome? Remember that's how it used to be? When we first got saved, what happened? Why are we so frazzled even before we make it out of the house? Oh, I know. It's because the news is true. Hey, if you believe that, me and John both have some swampland here in Vegas to sell you after the service. (laughs) No, no, no. It's pure and lovely. It's excellent. It's praiseworthy. Folks, why do we spend the majority of our time with Dan Blather than the father? You ever thought about that? Is he where we get our peace from? Listen, is the media more important than our maker? Will a sitcom soothe your soul better than our savior? Listen, is Oprah Wong Kenobi more important than God? Then why in the world will we spend all of our time with Hollywood instead of our Heavenly Father? Listen, who's the source of power here? And that's just one non-spiritual activity. What about hobbies? What about habits? What about all kinds of other things, okay? Who are we kidding? Listen, it's not that we don't have time to pray. We just don't take time to pray. One person had to say this. Listen, this is the precedent we need to get back to, Christian. Listen. 
He said, the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day, they rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back and spending time with God. Why? Because he who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. And might I add, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, until one day you wake up and guess what? It feels like God's a million miles away. What happened? And you start telling those stories that you hear people tell. Young Christians on fire. Well, I remember those days. I used to be like that. But life... You're the one that's abnormal, not me. That's a sign that you've been seduced into losing your first love for Christ. You need to get back on track and fall in love with him again. And again, let's take a look at some of the benefits of prayer. Well, what's the Bible say, right? It's just not something we should do. You know, there is a kind of a trade-off, if you will, so to speak. Hello, uh, by prayer, the scripture says, uh, Moses parted the Red Sea. You guys ever hit a wall of circumstances? And it's like, man, I look forward, I look back, there's no way out of this mess. Oh, that's what they were dealing with. Pray to God, bang, he parts the way. Do you know he'll still part the way today for you? Are you praying to him? Are you trusting him? You got faith in him? By prayer, Hannah was able to conceive. By prayer, David defeated Goliath. By prayer, Jonah was released from the belly of the whale. By prayer, Elijah caused it to rain. By prayer, Elisha raised a boy from the dead. By prayer, Samson received supernatural strength. By prayer, Solomon received supernatural wisdom. By prayer, Hezekiah's life was spared. By prayer, Peter was released from jail. By prayer, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, endured the cross. Father, if at all possible. Remember? He was praying before he went to the cross. And he endured it for our sake. How many guys would say that, you know, it, there's kind of a benefit praying to God? Right? Not, not just to overcome your enemies, but sometimes overcome some serious difficulties and challenges. Amen? And you come out on top. Okay? And this is the good news. Prayer to God doesn't work just for those folks from the past. God shut off the spigot. Oh, well. It works for us today. But I'm telling you, as long as you and I refuse to pray to God, we're causing ourselves unnecessary pain and fear, and it has to get back to being a knee-jerk reaction, a daily precedent before you do anything. All right, maybe at least go get a cup of coffee, but come back and put God first. Allow his peace to envelop you before you do anything, and have a great day. You feel yourself getting a little bit frazzled? Hey. Done. There's no magical hour. It's got to be an hour and 15 minutes and 45 seconds before it kicks in. No. God wants your heart. How long was the prayer that Peter prayed when he was glub-glubbing in the water? Lord, save me. Three words. God wants your heart, Christian. Out today, just love him. Talk to him. Have a great time. Get back to enjoying that peace and that power. That he can give you in the midst of your circumstances. Listen to this. I love this. Daniel chose to spend a night in the lion's den rather than go one day without prayer. You realize that? Why was he chucked in there? Because he refused to stop praying to God. He chose the lion's den over, uh-uh. I refuse to stop praying to God. I like this. If all of our troubles are deep-seated and long-standing, maybe it's time we try to. And if you can't sleep, don't count sheep. It's time to talk to the shepherd every day.
And again, this is, the, this is the thing. Folks, it's not that hard to figure out to me. If you refuse Christian to pray to a supernatural God, then don't expect to experience his supernatural power. But not only that, it might be a sign you are being seduced just like Ephesus. Oh, you got good theology. I mean, you could spot a false teacher a mile away. You're serving your tail off in the church. Woo! But you woke up one day. I don't know what the day was. I don't know what your rationalization was. But you said, nope. Not going to do it. Oh, I'll still punch in my time clock because i got to make appearances. But I'm not going to love him like I used to. And you wonder why it's become a dry, stale, boring ritual. If it ever feels like God's moved, guess who moved? Not him. Us. Get back on track. We just got to get back to that same knee-jerk reaction. In fact, sometimes it's just a matter of getting back to having just natural faith in God. Here comes a challenge. What do you do? He can do it. I don't care how bad it is, man. I got the faith in God. God created the whole universe. He can take care of this thing. And what do you do? You're praying as you do that. You get back, believing, having faith in God, and you pray to him, and man, instantly, I don't care how bad it is, he can turn it around. Like these Christians learn. We've seen this before, but now in this context with faith in God, praying to God, knee-jerk reaction, watch what happened. Tell me how this guy benefited from keeping the first love for Jesus. Let's watch. Not just for days, but for weeks, months, years. You cannot get rid of it. And the other continual feeling is the constant cold. Terrible cold. Sometimes I felt as if my blood circulation was slowing down. I was personally amazed at the power of endurance. Because, by all accounts, I should have become seriously ill and died a long time ago. thrown into a cell with a broken window. The KGB was determined to do an experiment and freeze me. Later they would say he broke the window in the cell and died of cold. I felt despair. I thought to myself, has God really left me? Am I really forgotten and neglected? Have my years of suffering been in vain? And in my despair, I began to pray. I usually pray silently, but this time I started to appeal to God out loud. God, have you left me? My cries were bursting from a heart literally in utter despair.
One night I had a dream. In my dream, I was told to pray for Alexander. I had no idea who Alexander was. But I told my church and we began to pray for him. And right then, I suddenly felt a palpable physical warmth. Not the kind that comes from a heater, but like when a mother draws her freezing child to her breast and warms him with her tearful breath of compassion. It was a very living, human warmth. It penetrates you as if piercing you to the heart, and inside your heart a spring opens up, out of which flows peace, a wonderful, magnificent, soothing peace. I felt a very loving, brotherly touch, someone's caring hand touching my shoulder. I actually felt it, and this gesture represented the words, You are not alone. You are not abandoned. We are with you. We are sharing your suffering. This warmth was the energy God gave me to feel, physically, the heat of prayer with my own skin, my own being. As if the prayers converted the energy of love into the energy of warmth. In the morning, it was a shock to my executioners. They couldn't understand. I wasn't simply alive, but my temperature was the same as that of a normal person. I heard the doctor explaining to my executioners in the corridor. This is impossible. We can't explain it. About six months later, we received a letter from Open Doors to pray for Alexander. And we finally found out who this Alexander was. We had been praying for six months without knowing anything about him. Alexander had started a Christian movement that spread across the Soviet Union. For this crime against the state, he was imprisoned to a labor camp in northern Siberia, the death sentence zone. It so happened that many people began praying for me. exactly when they released me. Prayer opened the prison doors and as the gospel affirms, set the captives free. Remember those days? 
when we first got saved. That was the natural, natural, logical response to everything we went through in life. Pray. Believe. Trust God. Get a couple of brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray about that. Supernatural things. Miracles. What happened? Where's the beauty gone? Where's that powerful attraction of the church to the lost today? Why don't we see miracles in the church today on a regular basis like we read in the Bible? Well, maybe it's because we've forgotten what the early church knew so well. Church, always be alert. Always, the scripture says, be prayerful. Always keep a lookout because it's real. Somebody is out there, the moment you get saved, moving to plan B, and plan B is just little here, little there, over time. Seduce you away from your first love of Jesus Christ. So you turn into what I call that dry, stale, crusty Christian. And we lose that power, we lose that witness. But here's the good news. If that's us today, what do you do? God loves you. He loves me. He loves us as children. When your kids do something wrong, I hope this isn't what you do. You don't sit there and go, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to make you suffer for the next three hours or three days or three months before we come back. And it's God doesn't play that game. When his kids come to him and get their heart right with him and fall in love with him again, can you imagine? Can you imagine even having to voice that to God after all he's done? God, would you please forgive me? for falling out of love with you. But here's how big his love is. He'll not only forgive you, but he'll wrap you back up and say, good to have you back. Let's get moving forward again. Amen? Let's get back to maintaining that first love for Jesus. If you've turned into one of those folks that want to put your arm around that new Christian and ruin it for him, you need to change, not them. Let's be that positive witness for Jesus and keep enjoying his power at all times. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. 
And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, 
if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.